Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. From the Society for Nautical Research, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Welcome, everyone. Welcome aboard. This is a historic moment. It's the launch of a podcast whose sole purpose is to spread the word around the world of the importance of maritime history, how it has impacted on so much of our history, how the sea has made us who we are today. It's an incredibly exciting project, and I'm absolutely delighted to be part of it. And I'm chatting today with David Davis. He's one of the UK's leading maritime and naval scholars and an author of naval fiction. David, you seem to tick all of the boxes. And he is also the chairman of the Society for Nautical Research, the organisation behind this very podcast. So, David, welcome to the podcast. But I suspect you should actually be welcoming me as you were really the driver behind this idea. Thank you, Sam. Well, it's great to be here and I'm really looking forward to launching this project. So why do we need maritime history in general? That's one hell of a question. But why do we need maritime history? And also, why do we need a maritime history podcast? Right. Well, to take your second question first, we need one simply because there isn't one um, at the moment, or at least there isn't one with the sort of breadth we're aiming for, covering all sorts of themes, all sorts of periods, everything that can possibly be defined as maritime history. And, I mean, when it comes to maritime history and why we need it, well, I mean, how long have you got? Uh, <laughs> I mean, th- th- yeah. think, for example, about one issue that's dominating the news at the moment, other than COVID, obviously, which is the whole question of race, Black Lives Matter, all of these issues. Why are different populations, different communities in the countries they're in? You can't actually understand that whole set of questions properly unless you know about the maritime history behind it. You know, in relation to race, you need to be thinking about the transatlantic slave trade. You need to be thinking about maritime dimensions that explains that. You know, in the UK, the Windrush generation, well, the Windrush, the Empire Windrush, was a ship. You know, so many of these aspects come down to maritime history. Again, you know, think about world cities, some of the great world cities and where they are. New York, London, Amsterdam, perhaps especially Singapore. You know, those cities exist because of maritime trade to a considerable extent. They're where they are because of maritime trade. Their histories to a considerable extent are shaped by maritime trade. So, you know, I think this podcast, if we're going to be exploring 
these sorts of questions and hopefully trying to come up with some sorts of answers, um, I think this is going to be a tremendous new innovation. And perhaps if I just say a little bit about the name, we're calling it... <laughs> yes, let's do that. We can't ignore the name, <laughs> exactly. Mariner's Mirror. the Mariner's Mirror podcast. I mean, this, of course, is the journal of the society, the SNR. Um, it's the journal we've had since its first issue in 1911, um, it's the world's premier international journal of maritime history. Um, and it really is, you know, the main force, as far as we're concerned, but we would say that anyway, in international maritime history. So welcome, everybody. This is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. That's right. We wanted to carry on the um, Society for Nautical Research's reputation for leading global scholarship, leading journalism relating to maritime history and bring it into an audio format. It's fascinating what you were saying about um, a global history there and the importance of it. And if you think about it like this, actually, the, the whole history of the world to start with, it was all about humanity spreading out from only a handful of origins in the world. And then it's all been the history of everyone coming back together again. And so much of that going away and coming back together actually happened by sea, which is why it's so important that we understand it. We get to grips with our maritime history. We've been thinking a great deal and chatting together about the topics, the direction we want to take for this podcast. I'm a bit like a kid in a sweet shop thinking about this. I began my life as a maritime and naval historian and having travelled the world making TV documentaries, it now feels a bit like coming home. Personally, I'm never happier than being near in or on the sea. And if I can't do any of those, then writing about it or as we're doing now, talking about the sea is very much the next best thing. And with a blank canvas ahead of us, I've chosen a number of topics and themes or, I suppose, priorities that I would really want to explore in the coming weeks and hopefully years that this podcast is going to exist. The first point is that it will be a, a maritime podcast very, very broadly conceived. It will cover all aspects of the maritime world. So ships, yes, of course, sails, steam, leisure, but also sea power and the history of navies and the control of the sea. We're interested in lakes and rivers as much as we are with the history of the sea. And although we see the sea as an important location for history in its own right... We've also got to remember those fabulous stories that are just waiting to be told of all of the people who work in the liminal coastal areas and are profoundly influenced in their own lives by the sea and have been profoundly influenced over the centuries. Yes, I mean, I think this has been one of the great features, especially in the last 10 to 20 years, when interest in maritime History has expanded enormously and people have been branching out into all sorts of areas that weren't even on the radar at all when I started studying this field far too many years ago than I'd prefer to remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, and this is one of the things, I think, it's become much more multidisciplinary. You know, maritime history has always, when it's been doing well, done well, uh, been covering subjects like political history, economic history, social history all sorts of areas, but now it's broadened way, way beyond that as well. As you say, people are looking at the histories of coastal communities, people are looking at issues of gender and sexuality in relation to seafarers, uh, people are looking at the literary elements of the sea and of ships. And actually, I mean, I only learned this a few months ago, I mean, and this is absolutely fantastic, people are studying the history of boredom 
at sea. Not, <laughs> not just one person. There are several people looking at this, which is brilliant. Because let's face it, anybody who's been on a long sea voyage knows that it can get pretty boring. Now, as you say, I write naval fiction and we never say this because we want everybody to believe <laughs> that life at sea... It's sinking your own boat, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> life at sea is incredibly exciting all of the time. No, it isn't. And this would have yeah. been a major factor with seafarers and to, to this day with seafarers. And I think the fact that people have now woken up to this and are actually studying it academically is one of the tremendous developments that's been taking place. Yeah, absolutely. What we want to do is really celebrate modern scholarship as well. And I think everyone will be absolutely amazed at the ingenuity, the creativity that is being applied to history of all sorts, but particularly to maritime and naval history. It's one of the reasons I'm so proud to call myself a maritime historian. And one interesting aspect here is that, um, yes, we'll be talking about the history of ships. We'll be talking about what are obviously maritime themes. But I'm particularly interested in picking out the maritime strands of topics which you would not necessarily suspect have their own maritime history. Um, so we, I know we've got the um, celebrations or the commemorations of the Battle of Britain coming up and everyone thinks that's all to do with aeroplanes uh, flying up in the sky but there's a very important maritime naval aspect to it so that's one example so this will be a podcast about obvious maritime themes but also about unexpected ones as well um, we're going to organise it in a kind of a magazine style. I will be taking the lead, interviewing all sorts of people. Historians, yes, but I'm also interested in working um, with people, talking to people who work in the modern world, but they have one foot in the past. I want to talk to people who keep traditional maritime skills alive, sailing, boat building, woodworking, rope making, and, and from there right up to major players in international business. I'm particularly delighted that one of our earliest interviews, one of our first guests, is going to be the CEO of P&O. And they'll be able to give us a perspective on how the passenger and freight services of P&O ferries today are very closely aligned to P&O's origins and with clear parallels between past and present. I'm very excited about this particular dimension. I mean, my previous life, as it were, was entirely spent in education. That's a very big passion of mine. And I certainly want SNR to be doing much more in the field of education. And one of the things that strikes me here is this whole question of keeping traditional crafts alive. At the moment, for example, we're in discussions about with HMS Victory, whether it might be possible for us to support apprenticeships, perhaps, or so, you know, some other ways of getting traditional skills perpetuated. Um, and, for example, they need to restore quite a few of the gun carriages on HMS Victory. And obviously to do that properly, you need to have the traditional skills that the people working with wooden gun carriages in the 18th and 19th centuries would have had. So, I mean, I think this works both ways. It's actually about the ancient tr skills that are being carried over into the modern world, but also the skills that the modern world is now taking back to use on the heritage we've inherited from previous generations. Yeah, and those those skills are so important. And actually, it's really encapsulated in HMS Victory. I was there recently, um, and our, our first episode is actually going to be on the restoration of Victory. So stand by for that. But I was looking at the... Um, they're taking down the rig, they're replacing the rigging, and it's immensely complicated. And I suddenly thought, 
what who knows how this goes back together i really really hope there are more than say three people in the world who could actually put the rig of a first-rate sailing man of war back together and we need to have people who know who can learn this who can who can learn and preserve those skills for the future now, on top of this kind of interview format, what I want to do particularly is to bring you wonderful listeners out there, actual history to transform you back to the past by your ears, if you want. Um, we're doing this by teaming up with museums around the world who have oral history collections. Uh, for example, we've got some great material lined up from the wonderful Hudson River Museum, who have an outstanding collection of oral history relating to commercial fishing. And we're even having traditional stories told directly to you. Now, this is fantastic. Um, a great example of this will be our planned episodes with the National Maritime Museum of Australia, who are helping us arrange interviews with First Nation peoples who have active storytelling traditions passed down through the generations of when Captain Cook arrived in Australia. That's going to be so exciting, talking to First Nations people and seeing how they keep those cultures and those memories alive and when there are not oral histories to be told we're going to bring some original sources to life we're going to be reading out extracts from diaries and from logbooks uh, and throughout this podcast there are going to be opportunities for people to volunteer to help us all out and that's a great one if you want to read out a bit of a diary from whatever it might be uh, I'm traveling to the SS Great Britain to discuss with them their collections next week a wonderful example it's got the most uh, fabulous archive of diaries from the SS Great Britain and you want to read one out you want to get your voice on the podcast uh, do please get in touch with us I'll tell you at the end how to do so Logbooks is a particular subject I'm I'm very fascinated in at the moment. Um, and it's it's important to point out here that it's an example of just how crucial maritime history can be. Um, because in recent years, historians have realised that one of the most influential sources for studying the history of climate change is maritime logbooks. The astonishingly accurate and carefully recorded material kept in those logbooks. Um, We'll certainly bring you interviews about how logbooks are currently being used on the front line in the war against climate change. But to keep that front and centre of the podcast, what we're going to be doing is having a regular brief piece in each and every podcast, like a historic shipping forecast for one particular day in history. So we can literally transport you somewhere extraordinary in the past. Now, for this, we're also looking for volunteers to help. We get the wonderful job of sourcing extracts from interesting logbooks. I was thinking of taking them from the Beagle. Uh, that's the ship that captained by Robert Fitzroy that Darwin sailed on in his first voyage around the world between 1831 or 1836, or perhaps from Captain Cook's voyages of discovery or even HMS Victory in the run-up to the Battle of Trafalgar. But we're going to have a little repeatable section bringing you the weather from somewhere very, very long ago. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The interviews themselves are going to be hugely varied. We're going to start off with some very broadly conceived discussions about the importance of the sea in history. We've lined up the extraordinary Philippe Fernandez Almesto, who is William P. Reynolds Professor of History at Notre Dame, and one of the leading authorities in global history and world history. And also Lincoln Payne, an American scholar and expert on the way that the sea has shaped civilization. Further down the, the road, further down the river, I should probably say, we've got interviews lined up with specific subjects in mind. Among those are Professor Kate Williams. She's going to be talking to us on the relationship between Nelson and Emma Hamilton. It's an extraordinary relationship that was regarded at the time as a challenge to traditional gender roles. And it didn't conform to stereotypes that are usually attributed to men and women in a heterosexual relationship. We'll also be speaking to Marianne Chisnick, who's just authored a new volume for the Navy Records Society on exactly this topic. Um, we're also going to be talking to Dr Miranda Kaufman, who's agreed to talk to us about Africans in Tudor and Stuart port towns, and particularly the Africans who sailed with Drake on the Golden Hind. Shipwrecks and maritime archaeology, you will certainly not be forgotten. We've got a, a really important introduction to this subject, an interview lined up with the Nautical Archaeology Society to talk about shipwrecks. And one of the earliest ones I want to cover in this series will be the Wreck of the London, which, David, I believe is probably quite close to your heart, being smack bang in the middle of your, your 17th century home. It is very close to my heart indeed. And there's some tremendous work being done on the Wreck of the London by Steve Ellis and a tremendous team of divers and volunteers down in South End in Essex. Just to explain, the London was a second-rate man of war, originally built for Cromwell's Navy... Uh, but in 1665, under King Charles II, she's fitting out for the Second Anglo-Dutch War in the mouth of the River Thames, suddenly blows up. Not enemy action at all. It's an accident. Nobody's ever been able to establish the exact cause of the accident. But there is so much brilliant material being brought up from this wreck. And I hope we'll really have a chance to explore some of those. And it's a fascinating history because one of the things about the loss of the London is that we know for a fact partly because it's in Samuel Pepys's diary, that there were women aboard her when she blew up. Now, why are they there? What are they doing there? Who are they? That's a very, very interesting subject for discussion. Absolutely. I can't wait to do that. So, yes, we're going to be talking about ships and shipwrecks in terms of maritime archaeology, but I'm very interested in more broadly conceived maritime archaeological subjects. I'm particularly interested in maritime landscapes. In fact, I wrote about smuggling landscapes in Cornwall for my MA in Maritime Archaeology at the University of Bristol. It was many years ago now. Um, and I'm also interested in submerged maritime landscapes. 
Now, we're going to be speaking with Citizan, that's a coastal and intertidal zone archaeological network. Um, and they're going to be suggesting and talking about the threat of coastal erosion to a wealth of foreshore and intertidal sites. These archaeological features encompass a huge time span. Many are of considerable local and also national significance, and most have no statutory protection. It's a fascinating area. Uh, of maritime archaeology and we will certainly bring that to you. For those of you who are interested in historic ships and vessels obviously that's at the core of what we're going to be doing and we're going to be uh, launching a very important strand talking about historic ships in general but also bringing you dedicated episodes from those who operate historic ships all over the world. We're going to be starting with HMS Victory, Nelson's flagship at the Battle of Trafalgar. Uh, as I said, she's currently undergoing fascinating and cutting-edge restoration. And as I mentioned, um, the SS Great Britain, Brunel's Iron Holes, steam-powered, all-singing, all-dancing, amazing passenger liner, which is at Bristol. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. I, I worked there very briefly uh, as a younger man. And we're starting with those two ships, primarily because the Society for Nautical Research played such an important role in preserving them for the nation. So uh, it's something we're very proud of. We are indeed, yes. I mean, the campaign on the SS Great Britain originated with Ewan Corlett and other senior members of SNR. The victory was actually one of the main reasons why the Society came into existence in the first place. It was one of the first goals, major goals of the Society. And we still administer what's called the Save the Victory Fund, which was set up in 1921 to, as the name says, save the ship. Um, and we still give from that fund substantial grants each year to the National Museum of the Royal Navy, which now owns the ship, to, for example, recently uh, refurbish a new gallery, the original Victory Gallery, um, very, very close to the ship. I'm sure many people listening to this will have been there, but... I've had a sneak preview and it's going to be a tremendous new exhibition, a completely new and refitted space. It was meant to open this year. It's now hopefully opening early next year and it's going to be absolutely tremendous. And as I say, we are absolutely delighted and honoured to have been able to contribute to that particular project. From these big ships, these major, major projects, which, which cost millions and millions to keep going, we'll be taking you to fascinating smaller projects wherever we can find them, starting with my absolute favourite, which is the Peggy, an armed yacht on the Isle of Man, a beautiful little vessel from the 18th century. Um, one of only a handful of ships that have actually survived for that long from the 18th century. And she survived because she was she spent almost the entire time in her owner's boathouse and was basically walled in, uh, was was more or less disinterred and rediscovered. And the SNR has uh, has a link with the Peggy as well. But we're not even restricting this historic vessel strand to ships. An important subsection is going to look at aircraft which have significant maritime connections, such as those maintained by the wonderful Fly Navy Heritage Trust. Um, they have an, an astonishing collection of historic naval aircraft, and I'm rather hoping they'll take me up in a swordfish or a sea fury. Uh, though, David, I'm completely terrified of helicopters, so I'm going to avoid the Westland Wasp. However historically important it is, it looks very fragile. I might send you off to go do that. One. I've actually been up in a Westland Wasp, and it's absolutely fine. Absolutely nothing to, <laughs> nothing to be worried about at all, Sam. How did, how did you get the chance to do that? Um, it was... 
whisper it softly, in the days when I was technically a sub-lieutenant, RNR, but in a very obscure branch, the CCF, which provided uh, cadet training in British schools. Uh, And uh, we had um, air days down in Portland where you could go up in various aircraft, including various types of helicopters. So I have actually been up in a Westland Wasp. (laughs) Very good. Well, I'll see if I can maybe go up and we can talk about it. Um, Museums and archives. Well, give me taking you to... uh, all around the world, different maritime museums. Um, here are a, a list of just some of the ones that are coming your way, and it's enough to whet the appetite. The Australian National Maritime Museum, the Museo Storico Navale di Venezia, the Naval Museum in Venice, um, the US Naval War College in Rhode Island, the Mary Rose, Mystic Seaport Museum, Connecticut, uh, the Dartmouth Royal Naval College, um, the Hudson River Museum, the utterly fabulous Lloyd's Register Foundation in London, and they're all lined up. We're not just going to be doing the big hitters, but also the little projects you might have set up on your own. Wonderful little private endeavours that have been designed to help preserve our maritime past. You energetic geniuses out there, thank you so much for doing all of that hard work, and you are not forgotten. My current favourite is the Maritime Pets Museum. Uh, they're set up to foster an appreciation of animals living or working on or near the water. Um, pets that collaborate with man in times of peace and war. The museum documents their contributions and promotes safe and humane treatment of animals who live or work on or near the world's waterways. Now, I'm particularly interested in this, David, because I have a dog. Excellent. Hello, uh, hello, Mo. And he's broken both of his front legs. He can't really go for walks anymore. So I have to take him swimming every day. And he's um, he's a little spaniel and he's like an otter. He's a true maritime dog. And I think we should make him uh, like a, every ship should have a pet. And this will be the podcast's mascot, the podcast's maritime pet. One final strand I really want to talk about is music. It's always been very close to my heart and we can't possibly have a maritime podcast without maritime music. Music and the maritime world are uh, inseparable. As with all history, it's very difficult to imagine the sights, the sounds, the smells and, and the music that went along with life. And I really want to make that a strong part of this podcast. I've got a number of fascinating people lined up. Uh, and it will be headed by the fabulous Steve Knightley. He's the songwriter behind Show of Hands, one of the UK's leading folk bands. Uh, that I think they're fast reaching the status of national treasure. You could either find them lurking in pubs in Devon or selling out the Albert Hall. I'm going to bring them directly to wherever you will be listening. I know they've just, uh, for example, reworked a song called Bristol Slaver. And they did that in the days following the unrest in Bristol this summer, which led to the dumping of the statue of slave owner Edward Colston into the very harbour where his slave ships once docked. So I promise you there will be some music, some fascinating lyrics and talking to, to musicians and poets as well, inspired by the maritime world. To finish off every episode, we're going to keep you updated on any debates or queries that we have on our free forum on the Society's website at snr.org.uk. Here are a couple of interesting examples. First from Lyndon Pritchard. Thanks for getting in touch, Lyndon. We really appreciate it. Lyndon says, I recently started a project on Facebook with a page archiving images and information on the UK's light vessel service, collating the various stations that each light vessel served on and trying to identify each of the light vessel stations. That's some, some project, Lyndon. 
if anyone has images where the light vessel or crew is identified, visible in the photo or from the image description or anything related to the subject, please leave a reply. So he's got a uh, Facebook page, Light Vessels and Light Ships, and you can see that query on our forum and it's a good place to reply. And another query here from Derek Law. Six sloops from the Royal Indian Navy were built in the UK in the Second World War and spent some time in home waters. The official history describes this in a paragraph, but three were awarded Atlantic battle honours and all six took part in convoy battles, peripherally in the Bismarck hunt and even in Winston special convoys. That's interesting. Discovering their roles involves extracting small nuggets of information from literally dozens of sources. So he's got a real problem here trying to find out the history of these ships. Uh, He continues, any suggestions on sources, particularly of personal recollections, much appreciated. Uh, Also, any information on the Irish Sea Escort Force, which has been little described. So that's another query. Again, you can find that on our forum. All of this material is going to be posted online. We're going to have our podcast episodes online Um, which is at our website, snr.org.uk. Please follow us on Twitter at Nautical History on Facebook. And if you've got any ideas, you want to volunteer, you want to help out, you want to get involved somehow, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me, Sam Willis, podcast at snr.org.uk. Now, please bear in mind that this podcast doesn't exist without you guys out there listening so anyone who shares our podcast episode or link on social media will get a mention we'll mention every single one of you um and so please become involved and help us spread the word and i look forward to hearing from every single one of you but that's it for now from me sam willis and from david davis and thank you so much for listening we're very excited about what's going to be coming your way bye-bye and goodbye from me Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.